Well, we've come to question 63 in our study of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And this is the first question that has to do with the fifth commandment. We finished the fourth commandment last week. As with the other commandments, we will begin looking at the fifth commandment by looking at an overview and just at the commandment itself. So let's confess the answer to question 57. Question 57, which is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So today, in introducing you to this fifth commandment, I want to give you this overview of it. First, we will look at the meaning of the word honor, principal word in the commandment. Then how the honor that parents have is God-given. How, thirdly, at how this means that they actually exercise God's authority and not their own. God-given authority, then it's, when it exercised, is God's authority. And then I'll urge you to fully embrace this commandment in all of life. And then we will wrap up by looking at the blessing that's promised to us if we do so. Our text is the fifth commandment itself. But for our scripture reading, I have selected Romans 13, 1 through 10, which I will refer to in the sermon as well. So in Romans 13, we see how authority is God-given because, and because it is, that we're therefore exhorted to honor those to whom honor is due. It has to do with honoring those who rule over us, Romans 13, who rule over us in the civil realm. But as we're going to see today, the fifth commandment speaks to anyone who has authority over us, whether it's civil realm, church, or um, family, whatever it might be. So here is Romans 13, 1 through 10. Give careful attention because this is God's holy and infallible word and it ought to be given full honor. Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to do you good. For if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this... You also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear a false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. 
May the Lord then bless the reading of his holy word. We will end at that place. Now I want to, um, now I'd like to again read to you the text of really the sermon that is the fifth commandment itself. We, we quoted it before. Now I'll read it to you in the New King James. So Exodus 20 verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Well, you see, the basic commandment is quite simple. Honor your father and your mother. And then there's a promise that's attached to this commandment. So we will begin by looking, as I told you already, at the meaning of the word honor that's in this commandment. The Hebrew word that is translated honor in the fifth commandment is a kabod, and it means heavy. Here are some ways that it's used in the scripture. It's used to speak of heavy battles. Judges 20:34, and 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce. Kabod, heavy. It's a heavy battle. In other words, it was no light skirmish. There were a lot of casualties. It was a battle that had a big impact. It mattered. That's what it means for something to be heavy. It matters. It is used to speak of great sin. For example, in Genesis 18.20, we're told that the sin of Sodom was heavy. That's why God judged it. It was weighty. It was not trivial. It mattered. It was significant. In Exodus 5.9, this word is used of work that is very toilsome. This is when Pharaoh is oppressing the people of Israel. And it's what we call heavy work here. In Exodus 5.9, he says, let more work be laid on. Kabod is the word translated laid upon. Let it be weighed upon them is the idea. Let it be heavy upon them. Uh, let, let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. They were make, so the Egyptians were making their work heavy so that they could feel the weight of their work. Kabod is used again in Exodus, interestingly, to refer to Pharaoh's heart. When it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart in Exodus 8.15, he made his heart heavy so that nothing would move it. It was not a light heart that could be pushed around in that sense. Now, a heavy heart in this, in this way is a stubborn heart. Not even all the disasters that God brought could move Pharaoh's heart. He remained recalcitrant and refused to let the people go. He was really quite the idiot after a while because, I mean, his hardness was so unreasonable. It was almost like he thought that when Moses said the next plague was coming, that it wasn't going to happen. And it obviously kept happening again and again and again. Those are all negative ways. But this word is also used in positive ways. It is used of God's name in Deuteronomy 28.58, where it's translated by the word glorious. Deuteronomy 28.58 says that you may fear this glorious and fearful name, this heavy name. Often the word glory that we have in English is from the word kabod. When you read the word glory, a lot of times that's the word that's behind it. So it speaks of his name as honorable, as a name that carries a lot of weight. 
Isn't that very, very descriptive? I mean, think about a glorious throne. A glorious throne is one that has powerful authority. It has weight and influence. If it's not a glorious throne, then the king can say something and nobody really pays it much attention. They don't care. But if it's a heavy, a glorious throne, then it has weight. The word kabod is also used of promotions and of handsome payment. In Numbers 22, 17, Balak promises to richly reward Balaam if he will curse Israel. So Numbers 22, 17, it says, for I will certainly honor you greatly. Honor, I'm gonna pay you a lot of money, is what he's basically saying. It'll be heavy, heavy payment. Uh, I will honor you greatly and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come and curse this people for me. And then in Psalm 50, verse five, the word is used to speak to a, of ascribing greatness to someone, recognizing the weight that they have and treating them with respect is someone important. God says, Psalm fifty fifteen, I will deliver you and you shall glorify, kabod, me. They will realize just how powerful, how heavy, how weighty, how important God is. God is, is and, and then they will treat him with the proper honor. So when you honor someone, you treat them as someone who has a lot of weight or authority, someone who is to be esteemed and respected. When they tell you something, you listen and you obey. You take their words seriously. You consider their orders, their wishes, their instructions, their teachings, their counsels is too important to disregard and brush aside. You do not take their words lightly, but you see them as weighty. Now, children, you can tell me whose word carries more weight for you. Your little brother or sister or your mother, if she tells you something. Who's, who's got more weight in your life? If your mother tells you to clean your room and you ignore her, There'll be consequences. But if your little sister, your little brother tells you to clean the room, you might not listen to him at all. You say, who are you to tell me that? Your mom has more honor. She has more weight. And rightly so. So when the fifth commandment tells you to honor your father and mother, it's telling you to look at them as more weighty, as a, in a position of authority, to recognize that. You're to make them a powerful influence in your life. You are to take heed to, to what they say and to obey them and carefully consider their counsel and advice. You're not to disregard them and to treat them as unimportant. And that brings us to our second point then. The honor or authority that parents have is a God-given authority. In fact, the Bible teaches us that all authority comes from God. We read that in Romans 13 today, Romans 13:1, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. When it says that there is no authority except from God, it makes it clear that it is not simply that some people become more powerful than others, and that they became more powerful as society developed, there were just certain people that became more powerful. It's just the way things kind of happened or evolved or something. And then they started exercising authority over other people. 
No, this is something that God built in his creation from the very beginning, that there would be authority. It shows us that God designed the designed it to be the way that it is from the beginning. This commandment shows us that in Romans 13, one shows us that he made the world so that some people would rule over other people. Our society hates that today. That's the way God made things. There are many different kinds of authority that God made. The mayor of Halifax has more authority than you do about what's done in our city. If you work at a restaurant, the manager has more authority than you do. You don't decide how the customers are to be treated and served. The manager does that. And over him is even more authority from the one who owns the place. In the church, the elders and the ministers have more authority than the other members in exercising discipline or in planning worship services. There is also the authority that comes from age and experience. When someone knows, for example, how to knit, then what do people do? They look at them as an authority. They have what they say carries more weight. If you were trying to learn to knit and you get into a, a tangle, and uh, literally, uh, and you go to uh, the someone that just learned yesterday, you're probably not going to pay much attention to them or if they're coming and trying to tell you what to do. But if there's someone that has lots of experience, then you will listen to what they have to say. It will carry more honor. You will honor them. And in marriage, the Bible teaches throughout that a husband has authority in the home. He's the head of the home and his wife is to submit to him. But the relationship where you see God bestowed authority more than any other is the relationship of parents and children. The Lord could have made us all equal if he had wanted to. As fully grown adults, we could have been created as fully grown adults who are entirely independent from each other. Where we could all entirely fend for ourselves have no need to be taught by anyone else or led by anyone else in any other way, in any way whatsoever. That would be a very, a very dreadful place to live, a very lonely and isolated place to live. By making us the way he did, where parents bring forth children that are very dependent on them, God made it abundantly clear that he wanted a world, the world to be a place where some were over others. Your very coming into being, coming into life, was dependent on your parents conceiving you and not aborting you as they would be given a legal, sinful option in our society, and then sustaining you. When you were born, you could not feed yourself. You couldn't clothe yourself. Your parents had to change your diapers. I've never met a baby that could change their own diapers. It's something that has to be done for them. You could not even talk. And you didn't know anything. They, along with other authorities, had to teach you everything from how to tie your shoes to how to read. Why is it that you speak the same language that your parents do? When you were born, did you say, oh, I want to be able to speak English? You had no choice. There was authority over you that was given by God so that you learned the language that you learned because they were the ones, for someone to say, you know, that's a table, 
That was by authority. That's what we call it. And you submit to that. You grow up in a society and there's this whole thing. All of your words, you see. And some people, they want to rebel against authority. It's really hard to do. To completely cast it off and say, we don't want anything to do with it. You have to come up with your own language. And even then, you'll be using sounds and stuff that you learn from, from other people. Um, you would know nothing about the past except what others have told you that are authorities of some kind. Books and things like that. God even made it so that you learn about him from others. We have a Bible, but where did we get it? God gave it to our fathers and they translated it and passed it down faithfully through the generations. Yes, God preserved that and maintained that. But we're dependent upon other people who translated it into English for you. You didn't translate it yourself. You have to rely on someone who has authority to do that. So there's you see, there's all kinds of dependencies that we have this way. God had excellent reasons for arranging the world like this. It draws us together. Think about that. From childhood, you have these people that we call parents who love you and who take care of you and teach you about God and who guide you in God's ways. God delights in giving us food and wisdom and art and music and science. But instead of giving us these things directly, he has chosen to give them to each generation through parents, through people that in a sense are a kind of experts. Like what if God, if we were all isolated from each other, I guess God could have given us all a smartphone with music that's downloaded on it directly from him. And then nobody, we wouldn't have, nobody would know how to do music. We just all have it to listen to whatever music we wanted to listen to. That would be a terrible place to live. As parents, you have this marvelous ability, you see, to bring forth children that are like you, yet are also individual persons. And you get to have them in your home for a time, and you get to teach them and provide for them and take care of them and to love them. You exercise love toward your children because they're dependent upon you. You get to be like God. To them to give them the things that they need you're a channel through which his blessing comes and as adults we depend on all kinds of others who have ability to do things authorities in our lives to learn from them we look to them to learn stuff that we don't know they have authority to lead us in our calling and our service to others train us up in a trade or whatever to enforce laws. We have authorities to provide things for us and organize us. We are mutually dependent. I mean, like somebody that has authority that is in a business, they know how to manufacture things and produce things. We're dependent upon each other. We can't go and do those things ourselves. The purpose of this mutual dependence, what is it meant to be? What's the design of God here? It's meant to be love. That's what this is all about. It's a very wonderful thing that there are these little people that truly need us. People that we can care for and provide for and nurture and guide and teach. These are relationships where love can flow back and forth to each other in a most beautiful kind of a way. 
and where unity can be experienced as we work together for the common good under the authority of the ones who have authority over us. Our mother and father, our governors, our teachers, our pastors and elders, our employers. What a beautiful thing it is when those who lead are using their authority to be the greatest blessing they can be to those under their care and authority. Jesus taught that this is how leadership is supposed to operate. He also said it didn't usually operate that way in this world. He said that the one who leads is to be the one who is the greatest servant like he was. He gave himself when he was our leader. He said, I'll take responsibility for their sins. And he bore our sins before the father. And those who are under authority, how they are to love and honor and appreciate those God has placed over them. They're to delight in them. They're to love those who first loved them. But we're fallen into sin, aren't we? And for that reason, it is these very relationships where the tenderest and dearest love and affection is to be shown, parent and child, where we often have the deepest pain and the greatest sorrow. So many people have lasting scars and wounds because of an unloving father or a selfish mother. Likewise, many parents have been hurt tragically and deeply by angry and rebellious sons and daughters. But we must never think that authority itself is the problem. See, that's where we transfer to say the problem is not us, but it's the structure that God has made. That's not where the problem is. The problem is not authority, but the sinful misuse of authority. On the one hand, when leaders are selfish and exploit and oppress others, use their authority to oppress. On the other hand, in the rebellion against authority by those who ought to honor the ones that God has put over them. Most of our social problems come from tensions in these relationships where there ought to be unity, love, and mutual delight. And instead, there's selfishness and pride and rebellion. We need to understand that it's actually God's authority that parents and others who have legitimate authority exercise. God has placed them in the position that he calls his ministers to exercise his care even when they do a poor job like the authorities that paul was talking about in romans chapter 13 uh, they still they are still his ministers as paul says for our good they are still in the position of representatives of god ministers of god who are supposed to serve and do good that's their position their god-given position that authorities represent God has huge implications for us as Christians and that's what we want to look at next it means that we need to honor parents as those who represent God so children how you ought to honor your parents God has put them in a place of honor so it is your duty To honor them as they are his representatives, you can't honor him unless you honor them. 
That's what you're told in Romans 13 about authority. In verse 2 it says, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. That's very important, what he has ordained. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. In Ephesians 6.1, children are told to obey their parents in the Lord. You are to recognize the place that God has given them in your life. You are to recognize the office of authority that they have from God. Now, I know that what some of you are thinking when I say this, some, some of you adults, especially, you don't know that you don't know my parents. <laughs> my parents were not good to me. Maybe your parents even abandoned you and refused to take care of you. That's very sad. It's sad for you. It's sad for them, too. That shows how bad sin is. It's hurtful. It's destructive. Sin distorts everything. It takes something that's supposed to be beautiful and it ruins it. It wrecks it. It distorts God's gracious love and care that is supposed to be demonstrated and represented in that relationship. This is a great sin. Parents are representing God to their children and to others by the way they deal with their children. And they represent him as one who does not care for his own. When God's not like that at all. One who is harsh, unduly harsh with them in a selfish way. One who does not correct them when they need to be corrected or nurture them when they need to be corrected. God is not like that. So you might wonder how you can honor parents like that. Well, it's like this. You are to honor them because of the place that God gave them in your life as his ministers in your life. You are to love them and honor them for his sake, not because they are good, but because he appointed them to that place in your life. You show honor to God by honoring them. They are still in the position of his representatives, even though they abuse their position and misrepresent him. You, on your part, are to do all that you can to make things operate the way God intended, the way that God commands. If you become bitter and resentful, you only add to the problem and to the disorder and the distortion of sin that your parents started. The very thing that causes you so much pain, now you're contributing to by your own action and by your own response. Why would you want to do that? Just to get back at them or to get back at God? What is the purpose? You on your part are to do all you can to be the kind of son and daughter that God has called you to be even when your parents don't do their part. And when you do that, you will honor God even more because your love as a child will stand out like a bright light in the darkness. You will be like Jesus when he lived in this dark and sinful world. And he had authorities that were in grave error and that were abusive, extremely so, to him. His light and love and righteousness stood out among them as a beautiful beacon. He showed us what God is really like and what God's plan is really like for human beings. He lived it out against a backdrop of sin and abuse. He had wicked authorities, but he gave them honor. We see a 
a contrast with Paul when he was falsely slapped for the wrong that he had done uh, in in the court. And he said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. When Jesus was struck, he said, gently, if I have spoken wrong, bear witness of the wrong. He, he appealed to authority rather than lashing out in, uh, in anger. And parents, you who are in authority, there are huge implications for you about this too. God has given you this place in your children's life, this place of weight and influence, of power and authority. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians when he tells you to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's not your own, but the Lord's nurture and admonition that you are to provide for them. You are his hands and his loving care. You are one of the main channels of his grace to your children, bringing them the word of God. Through you, he feeds them and loves them and teaches them about Jesus and about what Jesus has done for us. They don't know that unless they're taught. It is his nurture and his admonition and his training but it is brought to them through you. What a privilege you have to be all of this for them and to them. See that you make the most of it then, not only for your children's sake, but also for the Lord's sake, whom you represent. You are his servants. When you do not love them and care for them as you should, you're telling lies about God. You're his minister and you don't look like him. You don't represent him well. It's like an ambassador that goes for a king and he doesn't say what the king said. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you constantly represent him to your children. The question is not whether you represent him. The question is whether you represent him well. So you see, that's what makes authority, those in authority to have a greater responsibility. Even if they don't acknowledge God, and you say, oh, I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't even believe in God, so I'm not his minister. You still are. And you're going to be judged for how you represented him, even though you don't acknowledge that he even is. Now, now you'll surely say to me, you children, you parents, but I'm not up for all this. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't do that. Well, I don't have it in me, you say, to honor my parents, even when they are not all that they should be. And your parents say, I don't have it in me to represent God to my children the way I should. I fail. I come short. Well, I think the Lord knows that. The Lord knows that you don't have it in you to treat your parents in a way that is worthy of the Lord or to represent him as you ought if you are a parent. You live in a fallen world and you are a sinner and God knows more about that than you do. But don't you remember? What did Jesus do? He came into the world to save sinners. He came to bring forgiveness and salvation in this broken world so that we could forgive and not hold bitterness. Sometimes we can't forgive them if they won't repent, but not hold bitterness against those who have abused us. God is very angry at us for spoiling the way things were meant to be by our sin. But in his mercy and love, he sent Jesus to pardon and restore a people who would return to him. And that's what we're to do. We're to come back We're beginning to live according to his precepts. Jesus went to the cross to atone for your sin because you don't have it in you. He had to pay the terrible penalty. And he did. The penalty for our sin. It's for you then to believe and to be forgiven and to be restored by him.
And when you do, then you will have a heart to love even those who have wronged you, just like Jesus loved you even though you had wronged him. He will give you his spirit so that you can begin to honor your parents, putting away your bitterness and to love your children. I know that you want to do that. If you're a Christian, you have it in your you, you desire his law is written in your heart. Who wants to add to the misery and the pain of this world that comes from broken relationships like this? What I'm telling you is you have a responsibility regardless of what anyone else has done to you. You have the responsibility to be the kind of son and daughter or to be the kind of parent that God has called you to be regardless of what anyone else does. You don't want to start contributing to the problem that causes you so much pain or caused you so much pain, do you? Adding wrong to wrong? What good is that? There is redemption in Jesus Christ. There is a new start. There is a new hope. At least on your part, you can start to make a difference and bring glory to God where replacing love where there is hatred. Honor your father and mother. It's a beautiful commandment. It's a lovely thing when it's done. Of course it is. So I admonish you then to embrace this commandment as fully as you are able. Don't be a legalist. Be a lover of God's true law. You know what legalists do. They take the heart right out of God's commandments and they make a bunch of stupid rules to follow instead. Rules that resemble keeping the commandment and make them feel like they're obeying and make it look like they're obeying when in reality they have missed the whole point. But when Christ has freed you from the condemnation of the law, when he's forgiven you and called you to himself, he writes his law on your heart so that you love it and so that you understand the true intent of it before God rather than just trying to like kind of get around it and, and kind of outwardly do the rules. You embrace it with your whole heart and you live it in it instead of trying to dodge it. And that means that instead of trying to get out of it, trying to avoid its implications, you embrace all the implications. You want it to reach into every part of your life. Now, when you look at the fifth commandment like that, it reaches very far into your life. You do not put limits on it so that it reaches only into a narrow part of your life, but you bring it into all of your whole being. You follow it as a principle in all of life. So there's several ways that you will do this. First of all, you will let the fifth commandment speak into all your relationships. You won't limit it just to parents. As it says in Romans 13, you will render honor to whom honor is due. So you seek to honor everyone then who has authority in your life. Governors, rulers, teachers, pastors, elders, managers at work. Everyone and anyone who has God-given authority over you and are in God-given place to either uh, to, or to bless you as an authority, you seek to honor them. They're all fathers and you honor them as fathers. Um, God's ministers of good to you is what they are. Isaiah 49.23 speaks of kings as nursing fathers. And in 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul speaks of himself as a spiritual father. 
to the Corinthians. So you obey the call to honor your father and mother, not just in the biological parent-child relationship, but in other relationships as well. That's the first thing. Second thing you do when you um, let this commandment reach far into your life is you let the fifth commandment's call to honor your father and your mother stand regardless of how worthy your leaders are. You don't say, I cannot honor my father because he was abusive to me, or I can't honor the prime minister because he supports abortion. The fifth commandment does not tell you to honor your father and your mother when they are worthy as ministers of the Lord to you. If it did, then there wouldn't be anybody that could be authority over you. It tells you to honor them, is what it says. They are not worthy, but you're to treat them as the ministers of God because that is what they are, and God is worthy. They're his agents. You don't have to pretend that they're doing right. That's not what I'm talking about. If they're not doing right, you don't pretend that they're doing right when they're not. In fact, if they ask you to do something that's contrary to God's commandments, it is actually your duty to disobey them. We'll be looking at that more when we go on in the study of the fifth commandment. God has not given them authority to command what he has forbidden or to forbid what he has commanded. But you're still to respect and honor them in their position as parents or governors or whatever. Did Jesus not teach us that we are to love our enemies? Did he not tell us that even unbelievers love those that love them? And he says, you're supposed to do better than that. If you just love the people that love you, then you're just like any unbeliever. Well, if your enemy happens to be a parent or someone else who has authority over you, you're still to love them and to respect them, not for their bad conduct, but for their position. If a police officer stops you, you don't have to find out about his character before you accept the fact that you got a speeding ticket and uh, that you honor him for his position, not because he's a good guy. Okay, now let's look at the third way that you will not limit this commandment. We've seen that you will not limit it to just to parents, but will honor all who have authority over you. And secondly, that you will not limit it to those who are good and upright authorities, but will honor all who are over you, even when they are wicked. And now thirdly, you will let the fifth commandment speak to you not only if you are a child or the one that is under authority, but also if you're the one who is in authority. It will go both ways. What do the legalists do with the commandments? They always apply the commandment to other people, right, as much as they can. So if you're a parent, you say, well, this doesn't say anything to me. It just says, children, honor your father and mother. You know, that's not talking to me because I'm the father and mother. You, get, you try to get out of it. Um, you know, it only tells children to obey their parents. It says nothing to parents. Well, technically it doesn't, but that's so wrong. It's completely misunderstood. It's to misunderstand the commandment. The only reason a legalist parent can't see that the fifth commandment speaks to him is because he doesn't want it to say anything to him. He doesn't want to hear from God. But if you love God's law, and if you're a governor or a ruler or a police officer or a manager or a husband or a parent or a church leader or just an older person, then you'll flip this commandment around. You'll look at it for how it applies to you. You'll say, um, if those under my authority are to honor me in the Lord and obey me in the Lord, then I'd better make quite sure that I'm being honorable and that I'm leading them and caring for them in a way that properly represents the Lord. 
and honors him. What a terrible thing, you would say, it would be for me in that position to misrepresent the Lord in the position that he's given me. In fact, it would be worse for me to do that than for those under authority to disobey me. Because then, you see, they're, yeah, they're disobeying authority, but what are you doing? You're misrepresenting God when you've been appointed to be his minister. You have a greater responsibility. So brothers and sisters, put your whole heart into obeying this commandment and all of God's commandments for that matter. Look at all of the commandments like that. Jesus has redeemed us so that we can be his special people who are zealous for good works. Does it say his special people who can find loopholes to good works, who can avoid them? No, we look for ways that we can, as much as we possibly can, to fulfill what God has called us to be. What blessing comes when you keep this commandment wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ? Now, I realize I'm not going into details with all that we're looking at today. This is just an overview. We're going to do more details in the weeks to come. But we're told in this commandment that there is a, if we keep it wholeheartedly, that there is a blessing that comes to us. There is this promise that you will live long in the land. Now, let's think about the context here. Um, Remember that when the Lord gave us these commandments, to us as his church he had at that time just brought us out of egypt you understand i talked about this with the bride today how i speak of the church as us because we're the same people all through the age so when i say god brought us out of egypt that was that abraham is our our forefathers we're abraham's seed when we believe on the lord jesus christ so god began with people and then he brought his truth through the ages until jesus came and then he gathers the nations in and uh, so we're, what did God do then when he gave us these commandments? What was going on when he brought us out of Egypt? Well, he had prepared a place for us in the land of Canaan at that time where we would be his people and serve him. So we were supposed to be a people that were vastly different from the other nations because we were under God. He was our redeemer. We had his grace and we lived for him where he would reveal himself to us as well in this land. He is telling us here that we will live long in that land as his people if we honor our father and mother. That's who he's writing to. For our fathers in Israel at that time, this meant that they would not fall under God's curse and be driven from the land. They would live long in the land. Out of, they wouldn't be driven out of God's kingdom, as it were. And for us today, it means that we will be able to continue with the people of God in the church of Jesus Christ. The true church, I mean, of Jesus Christ, not the one that has the lampstand removed, not the one that's cut off from God, but the true people of God. Let me tell you, when Israel stopped honoring their fathers and mothers, and when fathers and mothers stopped representing God to their children, it came about for his people that God cursed them like he said he would. And he drove them out of the land. They did not continue to live in the land. They were cast out. In a similar way, we have seen many churches cease to be churches. Like Jesus warned in Revelation 2 and 3 that he would take their lampstand away if they continued to misrepresent him. They have lost the very gospel. It is not known or preached among them anymore. What would the fathers of four generations back say about those in the United Church today? 
or in the Anglican Church or in the Presbyterian Church. Even the, the, There's so much corruption. And of course, this promise also applies to you, not only in a corporate way like that, to the people of God at large, but as an individual. If you're a child of the covenant born to Christian parents and you're rebelling against your parents, you can be sure that you won't continue along in the church. One thing, if the church is the right kind of church, they will um, exercise discipline for, for children who do not honor their parents. It will come about. We've had to do that before with children in our church where we had to remove them. Uh, even non-communicants before that we had to remove because they got older and they just absolutely refused to, to honor their parents. It's a very sad thing when that happens. Those children did not live long in the land of God's people. They did not live long as his people in the church. So it's, um, it, it's, it's very important. Your attitude toward being an honorable parent and toward honoring authorities exposes the true condition of your respect for the Lord. In other words, how you honor the authorities in your life shows what you think of God. And how you act as an authority shows what you think of God. You act the way you think of God. If you love him because he has redeemed you, then you'll take great pleasure in seeking to lead your children and those under your authority as Jesus' minister. You will look to him to help you and you will grow to be more like Jesus as a parent. And as a child or one under authority, if you love Jesus because he has redeemed you, you will take great pleasure in honoring him by honoring those he put over you. Regardless of how worthy they are, you will do it for the Lord. And how the Lord will bless you. He will give you more and more grace to honor him and more and more assurance that you belong to him with more and more joy in all that he is as you learn of him. You will live long in his church and you will be blessed and you will do your part in helping others to live long in the church as well. What happens when children of a generation rebel against the principles that their parents taught them in the ways of God and they cast off the things of the word of God? That church declines and deteriorates and eventually there's nothing there. Thanks be then to our precious Redeemer who has loved us and given himself for us that we might live as his people. Just think what kind of authority he has been to us. If you want an example, even though we are sinners that are so wretched as seen by how we misrepresent God as his image bearers when it comes to authority relationships, he, as our head, went to the cross to pay for our sins. That is what authority is supposed to look like if you're an authority. It is by his gracious action that we are saved from eternity in hell. As our head, he said, Punish me for what they did. How beautiful is that? Please stand for prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you have revealed to us the way that you want us to live in your word, in your commandments even. We thank you that you have redeemed us so that we can 
repent from the way that we are and begin to live according to your ways. We can't wait, Lord, till the day comes when your house is brought into perfect order, when you come for us at the last day and we're brought into your house forever and ever. Lord, we will live in beautiful, beautiful relationships of authority that you have appointed. We're so glad about that, Lord. We, you know, our world thinks that authority is the problem. We think that authority is a bad thing. And we fight against authority instead of realizing that it's not the structure that's the problem. It's the sinners in the structure. It's the sinful people exercising ungodly authority or living as those under authority in rebellion and hostility. Oh, Father, we pray that you would change us, that you would deliver us from our own way. It's so ugly. It's so distorted. It's so hurtful. And we pray that we would start living for you, Lord. May we show the world what it is like to live for you. Please help us, Lord. Give us grace that we may do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen.